If somebody that you knew and loved were dying, you'd want to do everything you could to be there for their last words. In this series, we're looking at seven words from the cross. You know, everything that Jesus ever said in his lifetime was critically important, but there's just something about these last statements that he made, seven words, seven statements that Jesus made that has profound implications for your life and for mine. You know, I was thinking about that while I've been working on this series and working particularly on this talk. You've heard me mention it if you're a part of our church family. In the case of losing my mom and dad, which I have in the last few months, dad back in September, I was not able to be there uh, when my dad passed away. I was actually up in Illinois uh, visiting uh, our kids there. And so uh, I, I knew that dad had been sick for some time, actually, but I never had any idea that he would be passing when he passed. And so I was not able to be there at the end of his life. And I have regrets about that. I don't have guilt about it. I have regrets about it. Had I known it would have been the end, I would have been there, of course. Now, in mom's case, who uh, just uh, back in January, January the 7th, actually, was when she passed, we had enough uh, foreknowledge to know that uh, my siblings and me, we wanted to gather there in Atlanta, and we were there with mom. And, you know, when you do, as I mentioned a moment ago, when somebody that you know and love is dying, you're going to want to hear the last things that they're saying before they pass. In fact, you would do anything you could to be there to hear what they had to say. If you could not be there, you would hope that somebody would be able to communicate to you what was said. And so these seven last statements of Jesus really matter a whole lot. What, your, what the people you know and love, what they say, you know, matters a whole lot. My mom, uh, especially, both of my parents were very humorous. They were very, very witty. Uh, but mom, and we still to this day don't know at what point she started assigning names to all of her cookbooks. You see, mom loved to cook. She, she loved to bake. And you could just name a cake and she could make it or she's made it numerous times. And if she made it, it would be an incredible cake. And she could cook. She could bake. She had all of those cookbooks. So apparently at some point in her life, she, she would write the name of the person she wanted to give it to in her family, but she did not date it. And so, you know, at the end of her life, when my sisters especially were starting to go through all of the things that mom had back home in Atlanta, they started noticing that she had put names in these books and cookbooks that she wanted to give to each of the family members, one of which was to my sister, Jennifer. Jennifer's the baby of the group. And so Jennifer told this to me recently, and then she posted it on Facebook a few days ago. It was when mom put her name in, in, the, uh, in the cookbook there, and then underneath, she made a statement. This is what she said, and I'm quoting her verbatim, what she wrote in my sister's book, the one she has given to her. She said, Jennifer, and this is mom, mom was, if you think of a clean freak, you take that to the 10th power, and that is mom. Mom was a clean freak in every way. Everything had to be just right, had to be clean, had to be in its proper place. And this is what mom said, what she wrote in my sister's book. She wrote, Jennifer, keep your kitchen and babies clean. And then she added, I'm watching you. There are seven powerful statements that Jesus uttered in the waning moments of his life. And again, every one of these 
have profound implications for you and for me. Now, last week, we looked at the first statement. If you were here, you will know what it was. If you were not here, I would encourage you to go back. You could go to the church's website. You can listen to it there. Uh, you, can, you can download it. Uh, one lady told me after the last service, she said, we missed a, a message recently. So when we got back, I downloaded it. I, I was going for a run. And so she said, normally I struggle with my run. So she said, but I listened to the entire message. It helped me to run. So you may want to try that sometime if you're not missed church, but listen to it a second time, uh, you know, while you run. But you could listen to it. While, and I encourage you to because the first statement Jesus said, we looked at it last week when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And last week, we took a lot of time to talk about forgiveness. Now, this week, I want us to dive right in, and you're going to see, and we'll talk about this word, and I'm going I'm to mention it to you because I want you to be convinced of something when you leave here today. But let's look at our passage for today. You saw part of it on the screen a moment ago. Uh, Luke 23, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah? Are you really? Are you really the Messiah? Prove it then. And he begins to, uh, you know, ridicule Jesus. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So Jesus, if you are who you say you are and you're that powerful, then save yourself in this moment. And while you're busy saving yourself, save us too. But the other criminal protested. He says, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And we're going to look at all this in just a moment in detail. Then he said, Jesus, and it's not very complex. He simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. The word that I want us to focus on today, last week it was forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Today, in the passage that we're looking at, Jesus says to the second criminal, I assure you, today, and we're going to talk about assurance because it really matters a whole lot. And today, I want you, every one of you, to listen as though your life depended upon it because it does. This is one of the most important passages that you will ever find in all of the Bible. The reason why it's so important is simply this, because it provides us with a clear picture of what salvation really is, sort of the how of how we can be saved and, and when and where and why. It, it deals with so much of that right here in the passage that you just looked at and I looked at, and we're going to talk about it today. In fact, when we leave here today, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know two essential things. I want you to know, please hear me on this, what you need to do to be saved, what you need to do to be saved, and secondly, how you can have the assurance that you're saved and never doubt that again. I don't want you to spend the rest of your life always wondering, am I saved or not? You know, am I really going to make it to heaven or not? I want you to have assurance, and I believe Jesus wants you to have assurance. He certainly did to this criminal on the cross that you're in right standing with God. Now, there are the two criminals, we know this, that are crucified with Jesus, one on either side. The one, as we know, begins to mock, begins to insult Jesus, begins to reject Jesus. If you're really the Messiah, if you are really who you claim to be, then why don't you save yourself? And besides, Messiah, while you're busy at it, save us at the same time. The second criminal, what does he do? He does not mock. 
He does not ridicule. He does not make fun of. He does not jeer. Instead, he asks for help. And the help that he asks for, he actually receives from Jesus. So what is it that this criminal knew? What was it? And this is what we're going to talk about. What was it about Jesus that this criminal knew? What did he know as he's being crucified right alongside of Christ? And then when you answer that question, then it is also going to answer the question along with it, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? So five things that you need to know. Now, from time to time, you may hear something like this. Somebody says to you, hey, there are some things you, you know, would be good for you to know. Or there's, you know, some things that, you know, would be helpful for you to know. But what we're going to talk about is so important. These are things that you've got to know. You really, really need to know. And I want to give you five. The first one, what the second criminal knew about Jesus is he knew that he was going to face God after he died. You need to be sure you get that down. He knew that he was going to face God after he died. Now, when the first criminal begins to ridicule and scoff, the second criminal speaks up and and he's like, man, are you out of your mind? What are you thinking? Here we are in the dying moments of our lives. Here we are. Don't you realize that you're about to die? And after you die, this is, you know, it's not verbatim, but he's saying, have you lost your mind? Don't you know that you are about to face God? In fact, verse 40, we just saw it, Luke 23. The B part of that verse says, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Don't you fear God? Don't you realize what is about to happen? Don't you know that after you die, you're going you're gonna to face God. And, and I oftentimes wonder, why do people live their lives so recklessly? Why? Why do people so many times ignore God? Why do so many people choose to forget about eternity? And it's got to be for one of, two other, one of two reasons. There can be no other. I don't think any other option. Either a person does not. They emphatically do not believe that they have a scheduled appointment that awaits, with, awaits them with God Or a person says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I want to do, uh, how I want to do it. It's my life. I'll do what I want to do. And they have to convince themselves, uh, you know, that it's not going to happen. In other words, they've got to live in denial. But do you know that eternity is a long time to be wrong, isn't it? Eternity is a long time to be wrong. And this is what I think is so important for all of us here to know today is it is this. You can ignore God for a long, long time. In fact, you can ignore, if you choose, you can ignore God for the rest of your life, but you will not be able to ignore God forever. You won't. It's impossible. You've got an appointment with God. You've got a destined day with God. You can say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run from God. I'll run from God for the rest of my days from this point to your last day here on earth. I'm going to run from God. And you can do it, and God will allow you to because God's not going to force you to serve him. But the reality is you will not be able to run from God forever because you have an appointment with God. I've got an appointment with God. And this second criminal, he's like saying to the other guy, What are you thinking? Why? Don't you know we've been sentenced to die? Don't you know that in a few moments we're going to be out of here and we're going to meet God face to face? I want you to read this verse with me, everybody. It's going to be up here on the screen. Hebrews 9.27 says this. Everybody read it. Everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. Now, what is the first thing that this criminal knew? He knew that he was going to face God after he died. Be sure you get the second thing. He also knew that he had sinned against God. He knew that. 
He had sinned against God. Look at verse 41, still here in that same chapter. From this second statement that Jesus made, says he's dying on the cross. Take a look at what this second criminal says. He says to this other guy, we deserve to die for our sins. We deserve to die for our crimes, what we've done. But this man, speaking of Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Now, what is he doing? We deserve to die for our crimes. What, what would we call this? He's, he's confessing. This is confession. He's not making excuses He's not justifying what he's done. He is not minimizing the wrong. He is not blaming other people. He's not saying, I wouldn't be here, you know, if it wasn't for my, my parents, if it wasn't, you know, for my, for my uh, spouse, if it wasn't for, you know, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, if it wasn't for, you know, whoever. I, I wouldn't. He's not doing any of those things. This is confession. He is saying we are full-fledged sinners. We have sinned against a holy God, a God that we will soon face. In our case, we do deserve to die. What is he doing? And this is so important. He is confessing. This is the confession of a dying man, a confession of a guy who not only knows that after he dies, he's going to face God. Before he dies, he's going to confess his sin. Now, why is confession so important? Here's why it's so important. Look at this verse on the screen. First John 1, 9. And this is what it says. God is faithful and reliable. Now read the rest of it with me, everybody. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. Why is confession important? Because confession precedes forgiveness. What is it saying here? It is saying if we will do our part, If we will do our part and we will confess that we have sinned, then God is always faithful to do his part. If we confess, he cleanses. If we admit our faults and our failures, he chooses to forgive. Look at this next verse. Romans 6, 23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, keep that verse up for just a moment because there's two key words here that I want you to see. I want all of you to see these words. It's the third word here, the first line, the wages or wages. The next word that really matters a whole lot is at the end of this first line, the word gift. Now, there's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference between wages and gifts? Wages are something that you earn. You earn wages. Let me just give an analogy here. Let's take your job. If you happen to, you know, you're, you're not a student any longer, you've graduated from high school, college, whatever, and, and now you, you have a job and you're working. You're working 40, 50, 60 hours, whatever it is that you work a week. You come to payday, and that's different for everybody, maybe at the end of the week, maybe on Friday, maybe twice a month, maybe once a month. But when it comes to payday, if your boss was to come to you and to just say, you are going to be so shocked by this, I've got you a special gift. Here are your wages. You'd just be like, what's going on? I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Why, why should I be shod? Why, you know, why do you consider this a gift? This is my wages. I've, been, I've, I've done the work, and I've earned my wages. Here's the big difference between wages and gifts. Wages are something you earn. Gifts are something that you don't deserve. Wages you earn, gifts you don't deserve. Now, how many of you, aside from me, and I'm just telling you, I, I'm, I, I say this maybe because I need it more than anybody else, but I, I am exceedingly grateful for God's mercy and God's grace. How many of you feel the same way that I do? 
I'm grateful. I, I don't deserve it. And when you think about the mercy and the grace of God, it, it, really, it really plays out in a couple of ways. When I think about the mercy and grace of God, there are things in my life that I know that I do not deserve, but God has allowed me to experience them. God has gifted them. Do I deserve them? No, I don't deserve them. I've received them anyhow. God has extended grace to me. I don't deserve it, but I receive it. And God's extended me mercy so many times when I deserve something, I really deserved to, to receive what was due me, but because of God's mercy, I didn't get what, what, I, what I deserve. I'll give you another little analogy here, and please be sure that you know I am not recommending this. I am not. I want to go on record. It will be on tape. Uh, I am not recommending this. I'm just making an analogy. A number of years ago, I happened to be pulled over by a great um, representative of law enforcement because I was going from point A to point B at a rate of speed that was not recommended on the signs. And you can fill in the gaps from that. And it was not the first time, uh, regrettably so. And again, I'm not recommending any of this. I am not, you know, saying, don't do what I've done, I guess is what I'm saying. So I, I got pulled over, and I knew when the law enforcement per I let my window down. And when the law enforcement person walked up to the now lowered window, they said to me, first thing they said is, where did your friend go? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Where did your friend go? And I said, I, I, I'm serious. I really don't know what you're talking about. Well, and, and just sort of smiled at me like, okay, you may not admit it, but, but then said, I noticed that when you, were, when you were going at the rate of speed that you were, there was a vehicle right behind you, your friend going at the same rate of speed. So when I pulled you over, they just kept going. And Honestly, and I'll tell you to this day, I, I didn't, I don't know. That person was taking advantage of me is all I can say. You know, they, I got pulled over and they just kept going, you know, and maybe they thought that was, you know, the mercy of God. I don't know. But then, you know, the next statement was because I couldn't convince, you know, the law enforcement person that that was not my friend who just kept flying right on. And so they, and I knew this was coming. I need to see your license. Now, Please do not ask me where I got this wallet because I will never tell you. But, but I, when they said, will you give me your driver's, hand me your driver's license. It wasn't like if you get her, I, give me your driver's license. I literally, I never had this happen to me before or since. I don't have the wallet anymore. I don't even remember the maker of the wallet. But I literally, because of the small pouch that I had my driver's license, where you were supposed to put your driver's license, I could, I literally, I wasn't kidding. I wasn't trying to be cute. I, I was trying again, and I, I, I literally could not, I must have tried for eight or nine, ten times to get, and, and, and they see me struggling with this. And I, I, I literally, the whole, I could never get my driver's license out. And so finally, I guess in, you know, frustration or kindness or something in between, they looked and said, forget it. Drive on. Be careful. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for grace and mercy for my wallet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all. Now, don't come up to me and ask me what kind of wallet that you want to get one just like that because it's not going to work, and I'm not going to tell you. Wages are earned. Gifts are undeserved. What did the second criminal know? The second criminal knew that he was going to face God after he died. He knew that he had sinned against God. Thirdly, be sure you get this, he knew that Jesus was more than just a man. 
He knew that Jesus was more than just a man. Now, how do we know that he knew this? I want you to listen. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to what this criminal says to the first one. This is verse 41. This is the B part. Everybody listen now. This is what he said. This man, speaking of Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Now, I've read this passage so many times, I've lost count, but spending a lot of time in this passage in preparation for this talk, I had to acknowledge that I've never really paid careful attention to this. This man has done nothing. He's not done anything wrong. Now, notice what he did not say. The second criminal did not say to this other criminal, he has, this man, Jesus, he has committed lesser crimes. He did not say that. He did not say this man, his sins are microscopic when compared to our sins. Jesus, uh, Jesus had never sinned, and this is not what the second criminal was saying. He did not say that. What did he say? He said he has done nothing wrong. He's never done anything wrong. Now, let me ask you a question about that. Who can you say that about? Who, think about that. Who in your life, who do you know that you could say that about them, that they've never done anything wrong? Now, I hope that you are blessed with some family members like I have. I, I have family members in my life that have been influential upon me since I was a young, young boy, that they are godly, godly, wonderful people. And at times when I wanted to stray, I just remember like an uncle. I would remember like an aunt. I remember people that were great, great Christians. But as great as they were and as great as they are, I could never say of them, and they wouldn't want me to because they know it would be inaccurate, that they had never done anything wrong. Who could you say that about? Maybe you've got some great Christian friends that are just authentic in every way. They love Jesus. They're passionate about Jesus. They, they model what it means to be, to live a Christ-like life. But they wouldn't want you to say, and you wouldn't say of them, that they never did anything wrong. I wouldn't want you to say that of me because I've done lots wrong. I wouldn't want you to say that about you because you'd be uh, being dishonest with yourself. There's nobody, listen, friends, there's nobody that has ever lived outside of Jesus only Jesus has lived a perfect, sinless life. That is why only Jesus can save you. Are you with me on that? Only Jesus can save you because he's the only one that has ever lived a sinless, perfect life. He's the only person that has ever done everything perfect, never sinned, never made even a single mistake. Actually, what is it that happened on the cross? I want you to look, in, uh, look up here at 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. This is what it said. God had Christ. God took Christ who was, what's this word here, who was sinless. He took Christ, who was sinless, and had him do what? Take our sins so that we might receive God's approval through him. What did he do? He took the perfect one, Jesus, his son, who was sinless. And he stacked up all of your sins, which is a lot of sin, and all of my sins, which are probably even more sins. And he took all of our sins and he laid them, he laid them upon Jesus. And Jesus died in our place on the cross. Jesus took all of our sin upon himself and he died in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have the assurance that we're in right standing with God. I want to move on. Let me go ahead and give you the fourth one. What else did this second criminal know? He knew that only grace could save him. Only grace could save him. After this dying felon declares that Jesus has done nothing wrong, he then makes this request. This is what he says. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. 
This guy knows something that I hope the rest of us will realize, that without God's grace, listen, friends, without God's grace, there's not a single person in this room, including me, that has a chance. We don't stand a chance outside of grace. We can't erase our past. We can't make up for lost time. We cannot save ourselves just as we are without grace. So with with these criminals, they were utterly hopeless. So what does the one criminal do? He prays what probably is the shortest salvation prayer that has ever been prayed. He simply says, Jesus, remember me. That's a short prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. Jesus, remember me. Probably the simplest prayer outside of the prayer of salvation that I've ever prayed that has been most impactful on my life is when I came to that point in my life when I just said, God, I know what you're calling me to do. I know what you want me to do. You want me to be a pastor, and I know that. Because I, was, I wasn't running from God. I was a Christian. I love God, seriously devoted to God. But I was running from a call. And it wasn't because I was trying to be a rebel. I just wanted to make sure that I knew, that I knew, that I knew. Because the last thing I wanted to do is to go into ministry if God did not want me to be a pastor. And so I just ran from it and I ran from it. And God just kept pursuing me. And I'll never forget as long as I live. This happened many, many years ago. And I'll remember it to my dying day when I just stretched out on the floor, just, just sort of stretched out on the floor, my face down in the carpet. And I prayed the simplest prayer that I ever remember praying. And I simply said, God, I will do what you want me to do. And God knew what I meant. And I knew what I meant. And from that point forward, I began to pursue a path of ministry, calling to be, to be a pastor. The simplest salvation prayer that I've ever seen anywhere in the Bible was the second criminal who simply says, Jesus, remember me. What is he doing? He is throwing himself upon the grace of God. Now, how does Jesus respond? I mean, think about it. You, how many of you are with me? Wave your hand so I know you're with me. I know it's dark in here. I know, I know that you've had your, your donut or you've at least thought about a donut. And so it's put you in a relaxed state. So you're maybe lean back. Are you with me? Let me see those hands again just so, so that I know. Now, why did this criminal pray? He died moments, right? He knew that only grace could save him. And this is what he prayed. He simply says, he looks from the cross and he says, Jesus, remember me, remember me. That's simple. Now, how does Jesus respond? Jesus does not say to this man, hey, listen, before we can do this whole salvation thing, we need to work on your language a little bit because I didn't hear anything about repentance. I didn't hear anything about atonement, uh, justification, uh, justification, propitiation. I didn't hear any of these theological words. Listen, this man does not say any of those things. And maybe, maybe people would wonder, is what he said enough? Because all he said was, Jesus, remember me. Was that really enough? Let me just say this to you. It was enough for Jesus. It was enough for Jesus because Jesus looked right back at him, and this is what Jesus said. He said, I'll tell you the truth today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. How could Jesus say that? Because, listen, friends, grace is a gift. It cannot be earned, and it is certainly not deserved. In fact, look what Paul says about the grace of God. Ephesians, look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by words, so that no one can boast. Remember, wages is something that you earn. Gifts are something that you don't deserve. So he knew that Jesus was more than just a man. He knew that only grace could save him. Lastly, I want to give you the fifth thing that this man knew, and you really need to hear this. He knew that if he asked, he knew that he knew that he knew if he asked that Jesus would save him. 
Now, by this time, because this is the end of Jesus' three-year ministry run, by this time it was widely known that Jesus repeatedly performed stunning miracles. And everybody knew about it. In fact, there were so many people, prestigious, important people, that wanted to meet Jesus just because they had heard about his miracles. So many people that wanted to just be in Jesus' presence so that they could see with their own eyes Jesus perform a miracle. I, I have to admire. I don't know what he's done, and I'm not making excuses for what he's done, but I admire something that this second criminal never does. He knows. He's certainly heard of the reputation of Jesus. He's the one that said, don't you know, this man's never done anything wrong. He knew. He must have known. How could he have not known that Jesus had performed all these miracles, but he never asked that Jesus would do a miracle for him? He does not say, Jesus, you know the agony and the pain, because crucifixion was the most torturous form of death at that time. And he, yet he never asked Jesus to deliver him from this intense pain. He never says, Jesus, would you eliminate my pain? He never says, Jesus, will you you bring retaliation down upon the Romans who have put us on these crosses. He never asked to be delivered from death. He needed grace. He wanted to be saved. So he asked for what he needed. This jaded criminal said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus Christ said, today, you're going to be with me in heaven. And that's assurance today. You're going to be with me. Maybe you need assurance today. Maybe you need to know that you're truly saved. Maybe you need to know that you're ready for heaven. How is that possible? And maybe you have the notion of thought that says, well, I know how it's possible. It's going to be about my words because I'm going to do enough good words that I'm going to, I'm going to cause myself to be saved. Listen, friends, you can never do enough good words to be saved. You just can't. Now, I, I do want to say this because a lot of times there's confusion. I think you ought to do words, good words, and I ought to do good words and good deeds. We ought to. Christians, listen, let me say it this way. Christians ought to lead the way at doing good words and good deeds. But we just have to know that they cannot save us. So our assurance is not gonna, our assurance is not gonna come, it's not gonna come from our good works and our good deeds. Let me tell you another place our assurance is not gonna come from. Our assurance is not gonna come from our feelings. Now let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question, all right? How many of you you have days when you really feel like a Christian? Let me let me just see your hand. You feel like, a, you just feel, you feel. Now, those of you who already raised your hand, how many of you also have days when you do not necessarily feel, your you do not necessarily feel like a Christian? You ever have those days as well? Like I heard somebody say one time, sometimes I feel like a Christian, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't. You can't go by your feelings. If you and I go by our feelings, we're in big trouble. Hey, let me just say it this way. There are days I don't feel like reading my Bible. If, if I did not read my Bible every day, I did not feel like reading my Bible, I'd miss out on a lot of God's Word. I have days when I really want to pray, but if I'm being candid with you, honest, transparent with you, there are days I don't feel like praying. But if I only prayed on the days that I feel like praying, I'd have a lot less communication with God. There's going to be times in your life when you're going to feel like a Christian. There's probably going to be some days when you're not. Where does our assurance come from? Does it come from our words, our good deeds, our feelings? It comes from none of those things. Our assurance, please hear me on this, is based on God's word. What is God's promise to you? Here's God's promise. Read this verse with me, everybody. At 1631 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You got to believe. And you got to receive. 
You see, you don't need to go the rest of your life wondering. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this talk that there are two things that I wanted you to know when you left here today is how can you be saved? The other thing I wanted you to know, how can you have assurance that you're saved? That you don't worry, that you're not up and down all over the place for the rest of your life. I hope I save, I'm saved. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I am. Maybe I, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? You need assurance. Jesus said to a man, you think about it, a man who never had a chance to redeem all the wrong he had done in his life. Sometimes people ask me, they have said, and this is sort of a, 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 a side note, but sometimes people have asked me, you know, Pastor Jeff, don't, doesn't a person have to be baptized in water to make it to heaven? And I say this, you ought to be baptized in water. If Jesus was baptized in water, that's good enough for me. And uh, we're going to have water baptism coming up. And if you're a Christian and you've never publicly proclaimed your commitment to Christ, you've never gone public that you're saved, then water baptism is an outward demonstration of an inner decision that you've made to become a follower of Jesus. If you have not been baptized, you need to sign up as soon as possible and be baptized. It's coming right up. But you don't have to be baptized to make it to heaven. I mean, how many of you know this criminal would have been in, in a pathetic uh, place had he had to be baptized in order to get to heaven because he wasn't ever going to have a chance to be baptized. And yet Jesus said today, you're going to be with me in paradise. He believed and he received and he had assurance, I assure you today. You see, God created you, and I want every one of you to hear this as we wrap up. God created you to love you. He really did. I mean... God didn't create us to just see, you know, how much stupid stuff we would do, which we've all done. God, that's not why God created us. God created us to love us. God created us to have a relationship with Him. And that relationship was clicking along really well until Adam and Eve sinned. And if we had been in their place, we probably would too. And sin entered in the world and it fragmented this relationship that God wanted to have with his creation. But God had already had a plan because God in his foreknowledge knew that Adam and Eve would sin. And he said, here's what I'll do. In order to remedy sin, I'll send a Savior. I'll send my son. And my son will take all of the sin of the whole world upon himself and he will die for the sins of everybody and give the opportunity for this relationship to be restored. See, God created you to love you and God created you to be in relationship with you. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. So forgiveness as we talked about last week. Father, forgive them. Assurance this week. I assure you today, you're going to be with me in paradise. So when, it begs the question, so when does Jesus save you? When does Jesus save you? Let me tell you the answer to that. At the moment you ask him to. When does Jesus save you? At the moment you ask him to. You don't have to go on delay. You don't have to wait. He's not going to say prove yourself first. At the moment you ask him to, this passage tells us that you'll be saved. And when is the best time to be saved? Can I tell you the best time to be saved? I'll give it to you right here, right now. Some of you think, well, maybe the best time to be saved is the day before I die. Really? Do you know when you're going to die? I mean, the day, that's the best. The day before I die, that's, well, that's, that's risky. Because you, you could die next month, next year, this week. You don't know. When's the best time to be saved? I'll tell you. The Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians, look at it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, I tell you that the right time is now, and the day of salvation is when? 
It is right now. If you're not a Christian, the day for you to be saved is today. I love this next verse. Look at it with me, and we pray. Romans 10, 13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, anybody, anybody. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, with who you've done it, how long you've done it. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, friend, it's not too late to be saved. I said this at the end of the last service, and it just came to me at the end of the last service. I would not thought about it ahead of time. I would not put it anywhere in the notes that I would put down, but it came to me. And it may be applicable for one or more here today. In the course of my ministry, I've had people numerous times, not, not huge amounts, but numerous times, I've had people come to me, and I could see it in their eyes, the concern, the fear, the worry. And they've looked at me, and they've said this, Jeff, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm afraid that I've done something that I can never be forgiven of. Therefore, I'm going to miss heaven. And you know what I've told every one of them? I've told every one of them that have ever said that to me, what I'm about to tell you. When they've come to me and they've said, Jeff, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin. You know what I've said? I've said, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Because if you had, you would not be worried that you had. If you're worried as to whether or not you have, be assured. You haven't because you care, because it matters to you. Maybe that's for somebody here today. Maybe somebody told you or you convinced yourself or the devil's been speaking into your ear and telling you you've committed something, you've done something that God can never forgive you. That is a lie. God is able to forgive you. God is extending grace to you. If you're worried about it, there's a reason you're worried about it because God is convicting you. And God is letting you know that he loves you. It's not too late to be saved, all right? And you've not gone too far, but what you can come home today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me right now? Maybe you're one of those ones that the enemy has lied to you and said, you know what? You're such a bad person. You've done way too much. God could never forgive you. Well, you believe just the opposite. You believe what we just saw in God's word, that anybody, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and you'd say, you know, Jeff, I'm not yet a Christian. I'm not saved. I've not asked Jesus to come into my life. And I want to do that today. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed and nobody's looking around, would you just lift your hand and raise it up and keep it up for just a moment? It's really dark in here and it's going to take me a moment to see your hand, but I'm going to look around. I want to see your hand. I see your hand way back there in the back. I see your hand. I'm looking around. I see your hand right down here. See your hand over there. Just keep it up for just a moment. Let me look all, all around here. See right back there. All right, all right. See your hand. All right, you can put them down. Put your hand. And you know what? You don't have to pray a complex prayer. God sees your heart right now. God knows you want to be saved. This criminal in the dying moments of his life simply said, Jesus, remember me. He knew what he meant. Jesus knew what he meant. And Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in heaven. Just pray something like this in your heart and in your mind. Dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not justifying what I've done. I know that I've sinned. And I do believe, I do believe that what Pastor Jeff said is true. One day I've got a scheduled appointment with you. I don't know when that is, but you do, that I'm going to face you after I die. I want to go into heaven. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I know that only grace can save me. 
And Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life and to forgive me of all my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me, and I receive you as the Savior and the leader of my life. I don't even understand what all that means now, but I know that you'll help me to learn and you'll help me to grow. And then before we're done, while heads are still bowed, if you've prayed to receive Christ at some point in the past, but you'd say, Jeff, I just need the assurance. I need the assurance. Jesus said to that dying man, I assure you, today you're going to be with me. Today. Maybe you have days where you don't feel like a Christian. Days you do. Days you say, I haven't done enough good words. It's not, you are not saved on the basis of what you can or cannot do. You are saved on the basis of what Jesus has already done for you. And he died on the cross. If you've accepted him, sure you want to do better. Sure you want to live a more obedient life. But if you've received Christ, you need to have the assurance that you're in right standing with God. If that's you, I just need assurance. That's all you're saying. You're not saying, I want to be saved. You already prayed to receive Christ. You're just saying, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Or I need the assurance that what I meant with God was real. Then you just lift your hand. Let me pray for you right where you're at. Just lift it up real quick, and you can put it right back down. And Father, give so many of these people the assurance that they're in right standing with you. We love you. We thank you that you went to the cross for all of us. We praise you here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Don't miss next week, the third statement. I love you. I hope you have an incredible week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday. Bye-bye.